So often we think of God the wrong way, a way that makes us feel good but misses reality. Please get out your Bible, turn to Psalm 2 as Pastor David shows us the truth. God is not our grandpa. It's not our grandpa. He's our father, and he's a good father. And it's a good thing, because if God was a grandpa, while it might be nice to think about heaven as sort of going to grandpa's house and getting candy and hugs for eternity, which is a relatively weak view of heaven, but I think one that some people have, um, you probably wouldn't want to call on grandpa when there's a street fight. When the real stuff comes, it's not grandpa necessarily that you go to. You go to your father, younger, stronger, ready to protect, ready to do those things. That's not necessarily a grandpa's job. That's a father's job. We do not need a senile, happy old dude in the sky. We need the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the defeater of the devil and death and sin. We need a strong father who punishes the wicked and gives grace to his children those who call on his name. That's what we need. We've been in the Psalms. We went through Psalm 1, um, a few messages, if you, if you were here for that. Um, if you weren't, you can go back and watch that online. We're going to try to get through five. We're in Psalm 2, and we got through the first four verses last time. We're going to get through one today. Um, but last time we read these verses, and I, and I want us to think about these as we kind of start this. Psalm 2, 1 through 4, if you have your Bible, or it'll be on the screen here. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, we went through this in our, in our last study on the Psalms, and the idea is that the nations and the peoples and the kings and the rulers, they want to have things and do things their own way, kind of like us. They want to break the law of God. That's what they want to do, Romans 8, 1, 28 through 32. This is uh, what it says. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, or, or greed, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They have convinced themselves that God will not be strong enough or will not have the resolve to punish them. They mistook God's patience and grace for weakness. And they no longer fear God. Now, God's response first is to laugh at them and hold them in derision because their thoughts and their plans are foolish. That's the world we live in right now, today. That's where we are. That's us, but for the grace of God that he's given us. 
Let's study what God does next after he laughs at them and holds them in derision. This is the verse for today, Psalm 2.5. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, Lord willing, next week we will study what God says in his wrath to these nations, peoples, kings, and rulers and how God will distress them in his deep displeasure because that's coming. Judgment is coming on the world on the nations, on the people, on the kings, on the rulers. Do not assume, as they do, that God's grace and patience are weakness and lack of resolve. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This week, we're going to study what this verse says about who God is. That's our message, Lord willing, as we get through it here. We need, we need to stop talking about God in the way that we do. We need to stop talking about God as if his loving kindness is the only aspect of who he is. As if that is the full description of God. Now, it is true, and it is wonderful, and it is amazing, and it is awesome. His loving kindness, I live for it. No question. But that's not all God is. God is our father, a good father. And a good father isn't like a grandfather. There's a different mission there. A good grandfather may give the kid pizza and candy and let the kid sit on his lap and drive the car when he's like five years old. Because the goal of a grandfather is basically to see the kids have a good time. He trusts something. He trusts that the good father will provide discipline and instruction. He trusts that the good father will do those things that a father's to do. Well, a grandfather can do the things a grandfather does. And a good father wants his children to enjoy themselves, no question. He wants all the joy possible for his children, but not at the expense of them becoming bad men and women. All the joy possible, but not at the expense of their lives. A good father chastens. I don't know if you know what that word means, but basically means instructs disciplines, right? Sometimes a chastening comes maybe with a paddle to the backside. That's, that's a chastening. Now let's look at Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 3 through 9. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, talking about Jesus, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? We are his children. Not his grandchildren. When we disobey, when we're not living the way that he's called us to live, we get chastened and scourged. That's what a good father does who loves his children. Now, I know many of us did not have good earthly fathers. In fact, there is no good father other than God. The rest of us can try to live up to that standard. But many fathers either haven't been there at all or have chastened in a way that really was just physical abuse or have failed to chasten at all and let their children become whatever they were going to become. No discipline at all. But God is a good father. God is a good father. He will teach us 
through pain. If we will not learn through gentle instruction. And in my experience, it's often pain that has to come. We who are children of God have all experienced chastening and being scourged from time to time. This is what happens, and when it happens, we learn and we grow. Chapter 11, or I'm sorry, verse 11 of that chapter that we just read in Hebrews. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We grow fruit through the chasing of the Lord. The Lord our God will chasten, will scourge, and through it, you will grow fruit. It's real. But here's a question I want us to think about, and we're just going to keep it in our minds as I kind of go through the rest. Here's a question. What if we have begun to believe the idea that's been put out there quite a lot, that God is like a grandpa? What happens to us if that happens? I just want you to think about that because I'm going to digress for a minute. Just hold on to that question. If you've been around Acts Church for long, you know we really try to speak the whole truth in teaching the Bible. Now, that means some of the things that we say in teaching don't make us happy. They don't make me happy because I'm calling myself to account first before calling anybody else. Instead, they they tend to turn us towards confession and repentance and growth, which is difficult. But the God is a grandpa mindset, I, I think one of the ways it's come about in the Western world particularly, that's the only thing I can really speak to, is because the teaching of the church has been infected by the culture. Instead of relevance, which is a reasonable thing to want, it's reasonable to want it to bring the message of the gospel, the message of scripture, the message of Christ to people in a way that they can understand it. But there's a difference between relevance, which is more of an interpretive framework for us to understand things, and literally changing the message so it's more palatable. That's a totally different thing. And I think that started to happen because it's much easier to get up here and talk about how kind and loving and forgiving God is and ignore his wrath and his justice. Especially if you use the world's current definitions of those words, kind and loving and forgiving. Because the world has a different definition that they've come up with for those words. Let's start with kindness. I think kindness is too often confused for niceness. It's like you want your grandpa to be. You want him to be nice. Just give me the five bucks on my birthday card and don't ask me what I did last night. Right? Come on, grandpa, be nice. God's not nice in that way. That's not who God is. His kindness is affection and service, service unto death for you because he loves you so much. That's his kindness. That's his loving kindness. It's loving. It's not weak like niceness, like the kind of kindness people talk about when they talk about this world. You're not being kind. What they mean is you're not being nice. Well, sometimes being kind is not being nice. Next word I used is loving. For the world, love means something more like niceness also, although it's mixed with some sort of absolute acceptance. Niceness and absolute acceptance, that's what love has been defined as. If you disagree with someone's lifestyle, what they're doing with their life, say someone has a serious um, substance abuse problem, 
or a serious sexual sin issue or a serious lying issue or they're a gossip or whatever, all the things that all of us have been. Love to the world says, you don't say anything about it. You don't confront them on it. They're doing them. That's their truth, right? That's what love means to the world, but that's not love. Love is been co-opted particularly by you know, we have a lot of sexual immoralities right now. Like they're just popping up every day, all kinds of different stuff. You know, they're, they're not limited to any particular thing or group. They just seem to pop up. In the, and the mantra that seems to pop up around most of those who say, uh, who want to justify and normalize all those things is something like love is love. Love is love. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. You know why? Because in philosophy, we call that a tautology. It's like saying math is math. Or pulpit is pulpit, or chair is chair, or haters gonna hate. Because they're haters. We know. That's the whole definition. Or the one I say all the time, it is what it is. Uh-huh. Duh. Like it is what it is. Like, okay, thanks. That's not saying anything. Love is love isn't saying anything. It's a tautology. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just you might as well just say the word love. It would mean the same thing. So what they're really trying to say is this kind of thing that I want to do. This kind of thing that I want to do is okay. It's love. The problem is it takes a lot more than a tautology to prove that that's true. When God has said, this is what I've called you to. And it's hard, as we read. You haven't even resisted to the shedding of blood. That means it's hard to push against sin sometimes. For every one of us. We're all broken in that way and God is transforming us. And he's saying, listen, don't say love that what you're doing is okay because you, you call it love. God defines what love is. I'm not interested in studying all the issues of sin that, we, that we've all been in and that Lord willing and by the grace of God we've been being pulled out of and transformed from. But we need to be clear what we mean when we say God is love. When we talk about the love of God, we need to be very clear in what we mean. God's love is not acceptance of anything we wanna do. That's not what it is. God's love does not mean he justifies our gossip or our lying or our pride. That's not what love, well, if you loved me, you would accept me for who I am. Nonsense, who loves you that accepts you for who you are? Everyone who loves you is trying to see you be the best person that God has made you to be. Not stay who you are, that's not what love looks like. That's what niceness looks like. Nonsense. God's love is challenging. God's love is demanding. God's love is exacting. The kind of love that you would have for a child or a family member or a husband or a wife. You're not saying, whatever you want to do. You're like, no, stop doing that. Start doing this. We're being transformed. Love is a transforming power. Love is something that transforms the beloved. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Listen to this. He's going to tell us how he's transforming us into his image. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Have you ever transformed a Coke can? Anybody transform one? You know, squeezing it, showing how strong you are. Guys are like, no, I've never done that. I don't act like that. I'm way more evolved. Okay, if you are a girlfriend or a wife and your husband's sitting next to you, just grab, just grab him by the upper arm like this. Just do it right now. What you're going to notice 
is that every one of them is going to flex. That's <laughs> what they do. I'm try to play like you didn't ever smash the Coke can with me. I know how this works, all right? Goodness gracious. Anyway, have you, if you've ever transformed a pile of wood into a house, some of you probably have done that. Maybe you've made, taken clay and beaten it and done the whole thing and made a pot or whatever. In, in every case, the thing being transformed is stretched and broken or nailed together. Things are added. Things are taken away. That's what transformation looks like. It goes from its original shape to something new that the person transforming wanted the, the thing being transformed to be. It's not an easy process. It's not a painless process. It hurts and offends and bruises and it tears and it challenges. And in the end, a thing transformed is very different. That's what God is like. Not just handing you candy. He is transforming you into his image. Now, I know enough about who I am to know something very clear here. If God's work in my life is taking me from who I am and transforming me into his image, that's gonna be a painful process. That's gonna be a long process. It's a long way to go for me. You guys, not so much, you look great. But for me, it's a long process that he's transforming into his image. And I've experienced the pain. See, he's already started, believe it or not, he's already started that process. I've actually been in it for a while, which tells you where I was. But it's painful. It hurts, it bruises, it offends. Pulls me from, no, I want to do this, and I think this, and I, nope. You know, and he's transforming me. And it's glorious, but it's going to hurt, and it's going to take a lifetime. God's love is not acceptance of my nonsense and my sin. And it's not acceptance of yours either. On our own, we're hopelessly lost and can never measure up. And that's why we need a Savior, and that is Jesus. Now, if you don't know Him as your Savior, but you want to, or have questions, or just need help figuring all this out, call us at 360-885-9000. We'd love to help you find life. 360-885-9000. Always great to have you with us. And I hope you'll check out part two for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.